For many, Thanksgiving this past, this year, was different. Was that the case for you? Certainly, it was for us in a a myriad of ways, and it was especially different for me. The moment I reached for my phone to FaceTime my brothers and their families, and I opened up to my favorites on the phone, that, that section where you save those frequently used numbers, and there, a year after her death, my mom is still listed. And on Thanksgiving Day 2020, how I wished I could phone her. The fact that I could not opened up a familiar space of grief. It's that space where I continue to recognize that the fundamental part of what I always called home in this world, she is no longer here. Do you know about this? There are people in our lives who are so foundational and formational, they they constitute an essential part of what makes for home in this world. And if you have known their loss, whether by way of death or a move or a family breaking, or then you know the chasm of this particular void. And then add 2020 to whatever void of that sort we may know. 2020 has been a year in which so much of what we have understood as, as home has either been taken or broken, significantly altered, or at very least, greatly challenged the way we share life as a church home the way we share life as a nation the way we share life with loved ones near and far the way we get our food the ways and places we work and live for some all of this disruption has been a good thing a renewing thing maybe even a way out of something but for many for most i think There's a kind of home in the favorites of our soul. And as we near the end of 2020, there are parts of that home we recognize we we can no longer just dial up and, and have in the same way. And that's hard. It's to a people who've lost their home that the prophet Isaiah writes, In Isaiah chapter 40, the Israelites have been taken from their home by the great Babylonian empire. Their temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed, and all but the very poorest of them have been forced to exile Jerusalem and find new homes in the Babylonian empire. The book of Lamentations at one point summarizes the scene this way. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She now lives among the nations and finds no resting place, no home. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And it's not just that they've lost their home, as significant as that is. They understand that they've lost their home because of their own failings, their own choices, their own arrogance. It is their own sin that has brought about this judgment. And so what they're experiencing at the outset of Isaiah 40 is both the loss of home and shame. The loss of home and regret, the loss of home and despair. 
At one point, the people of God put it this way in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered our home, when we remembered what we used to have. As we now lean into this season ever fragrant with memories, are there any parts of home over which we weep, parts of home with which we wish we could dial up once more? It may be a person or a people. It may be a place. It may be a church or a certain way of doing church or a certain era of church. It may be the nation or a certain era of the nation. So many, the ingredients that can make for home. And are there any parts of home that are now lost or altered or broken or challenged? And at least in part, we blame ourselves for this reality or or we are at fault at some level with why things are the way they are. Comfort. Comfort my people, declares your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and her sins are paid for. To a people who have lost all or part of their home, to, even, to, to people even whose fault it is their home is lost, the word of God is this, comfort, comfort. Your sins are paid for. These first two verses of Isaiah 40 in so many ways anticipate one of the most famous teachings in all of Jesus' ministry, the parable of the the two sons or sometimes the parable of the prodigal son. You recall in particular the prodigal son, how he dishonored his father and and asked for and, 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 and took the inheritance money early, how he then chose to go to a faraway land, how he then chose to squander all of that inheritance money on dissolute living. The fact that this prodigal son's eventually miserable and, and starving and without money in the midst of a famine, his fault, his choices. And you recall the prodigal as he's just turning to go back home to see maybe if the father will have him as a, as a lowly servant or something. What does the father do? We reenacted this scene during confirmation class uh, earlier this fall, uh, Reese Cowan, he played the, the, the father, and he knew, he knew the story, and so he starts to run to Charles Brainerd, who, who played the wayward prodigal son living in dissolute living. And well, again, they, they knew the story, and, and so Reese is running towards Charles, but they also recognize that we're living in a time of, of COVID, and, and so Reese stops short six feet and gives a huge air hug. The father not only hugs the wayward son in that parable, the father kisses the son, calls for the finest robe to be given to his son, new sandals for those worn feet of his sons, the fatted calf to be killed, to throw a party for this son has returned. And do you remember one other thing that son is given? A ring. 
a symbol that he is family no matter what. Isaiah 40, God speaks a word of comfort not once but twice. Luke 15, God not only runs and embraces, but kisses and adorns with a robe, sandals, a ring, lavish unto those who are at fault for their loss of home. Eventually, God in Christ Jesus would go to the cross to make it as clear as possible that there is no length God will not go to to ensure we understand that our sins are paid for and the embrace of God is our reality both now and forever. And in fact, if for one moment we doubt that is God's final and full word to the sinner, if for one moment we start to think surely the sin and evil is now so great or so continual or both that that God's word must now be vengeance upon me, upon us, upon this, The cross is meant to make it abundantly clear. Comfort. Comfort. Your sins are paid for. Here's a ring. This is my final word. The truth is, I think one of the central reasons I want to speed dial my mother is not only because she was a central part of of home for me, but because she was the kind of home whose words and actions, no matter what I did or I didn't do, her words and actions always declared to me comfort. Comfort. Have you known such persons? If you're having a hard time placing some of those comfort, comfort people and church communities and very practically what that looks like, know that this word comfort here is used in a few prominent places throughout the Old Testament. And in many ways, the double use of comfort here at the beginning of Isaiah 40 is meant to evoke the memory of those other significant places in Scripture. Job. You remember Job loses all of what constitutes home. And it's his friends before they kind of screw it up. It's his friends who offer comfort, same word, through a week of silent companionship. The foreigner Ruth, you remember her story. She is comforted by Boaz, the Israelite, the landowner, when he, when he gives her protection from any fa- harm that might come from someone who looks askance at a foreigner, he also, and, when he, and he, when he provides her access to water in her time of need. Advocacy, mercy, justice, these are forms of comfort. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, famously declares the psalmist, recognizing the great comfort to be known in the valley of the shadow of death when protection is given. What we see from Scripture is that comfort is made known to us in any variety of ways. It's, it's made known through those who sit with us in our grief. It is through those who treat us as family. Though we are a foreigner or an outsider, we are different. It is through, made known through those who meet our basic needs, of, basic needs of food and water, whether at an individual level or societal level. It's through those who protect us when we feel Vulnerable to any number of challenges in our life, great or small. And it's made known to us through those who do any of those or more and do it all without regard to whether we deserve it or not. 
Have you known the gift of these people whose lives communicate the heart of the gospel? Have we also been these people? Because these words, comfort, comfort, they're in the imperative such that, that they are both to be received as comfort, but also the recipients are to, to go to declare with their lives and their words comfort, comfort, particularly unto any who have lost some or all of their home. You know, I walked into Home Depot with Leo at one point in early October, and very suddenly, Leo begins tugging at my hand and yelling a word I hadn't heard him say for a number of months. Christmas! 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 Where, where did he get this? Where is this coming from? Well, I, I turn to my left where his eyes are fixed, and there, there are rows of artificial Christmas trees and wreaths and, and lights and yard displays, and it is magical. Now, I know Christmas seems to come earlier every year, but, but I've noticed that this year in particular, there has seemed to be almost a society-wide desire to get to Christmas even earlier and with a renewed enthusiasm. I've, I've actually read news articles from, from local communities all over the nation reporting about seeing neighbors getting up those Christmas decorations just a little bit earlier on this particular year, playing Christmas music a little bit earlier than usual on this particular year, stores running out of some of the more popular Christmas decor earlier than ever. And it's my sense that so many of us want to get to Christmas all the more quickly and fully on this particular year of all years because this year has been really hard. And we're searching for comfort. Now, I don't know that many would put it this way, but it seems to me many of us have had some version of our home taken, changed, challenged, die at some point over the course of this year. And the strong desire many have to embrace the beautiful Christmas traditions and carols and treats all the more fervently is a visible way, I think, in which we are giving expression to the ache we have to find comfort, to be comforted. I share this acute Christmas longing observation because it makes me mindful that in 2020 especially, there really is no one who is not without some measure of grief, who has not known some loss of home at some level. Some certainly much more than others, but still everyone at some level knows a version of family, nation, church, job, income, a version of home they, they, they no longer can simply dial up. Which means we need not overthink in which direction God might be calling us to declare comfort, comfort with our lives. In fact, our passage in Isaiah seems to underscore this point when right there in the middle is this section that almost looks like it doesn't fit at first. It talks about how all people are like grass and their faithfulness is like a flower briefly in season and then suddenly withering and falling again. The point of this part of the declaration in Isaiah seems to be that God recognizes that the people who God's about to give an abundant amount of comfort, they're grass. They will wither again in their ways. They will fall again in their faithfulness. 
And so, yes, we, we, we could sit around and debate who really deserves to be comforted among us. And, and who's brought their failings upon themselves and, and maybe can wait a while? Who's just going to go back to their old habits, even if they receive an abundant amount of comfort? Who's just going to abuse the comfort we give or not even show gratitude to the comfort that might be given? Who's never going to change their way ever anyway, even if they are comforted? Who voted that way or this way and so don't need any favors from me? We can debate all of that, but the truth is God is so clear-eyed about all of us as grass and flowers. And God's word remains comfort, comfort. That is the word that endures forever regardless of what people do or do not do. I am not sure there is a more needful gift this Christmas than that declaration. Comfort, comfort. For plentiful this season are the fields of grass and flowers who can no longer dial up a certain version of home. And yet, what if the comfort we receive and the comfort we offer this season, they turn out to be part of how God is bringing us to a new home that we could never have thought to ask for or imagine? Amen. Amen.